You have to be really careful. You recognize that it's not just that you're doing it, it's that you're doing something different that hasn't worked for other people. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Turning a pandemic pastime into a business is becoming commonplace these days. But that only works if you're willing to apply the same rigor and hard work to the details of your business that you do to the fun stuff. Today's guest, Dustin, has been the drummer of a successful pop rock band since 2014. But between tours, he's kept himself busy running his own drum studio. COVID's been good to the business. He's added staff. And now Dustin's wondering just how big this operation can get. Big enough to be his main gig? Well, Today, I'm going to help him to put down the sticks and strap on the Sherlock Holmes hat so that he can deduce the best way forward. Dustin, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm kind of eager to talk to you because I won't say just starting out because it sounds like you're reasonably far down the road, but you're right at that point. You're going, okay, now what do I do? So with that (laughs) as your intro, What I'd love you to kick us off with is, first of all, start off with what is the problem you were trying to solve? Give me a quick idea of what you're doing, and then maybe we could kind of neatly segue into what it is you want to talk about today. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited. This is a thrill just talking to you. My whole life, I've been a musician, a drummer. I started playing drums at the age of nine, played all throughout school, moved to New York, and went to music schools and really saw myself as just kind of a professional musician trying to make it in the New York scene. And pretty early on, I joined the band St. Lucia in about 2014. And we started touring, which was really exciting, you know, well-known band. But I kind of realized I needed more. I was kind of tired of just relying on playing live shows for income. In 2019, I started building my own private drum studio, just drum students. And I rented out a studio in Midtown Manhattan and started teaching drum lessons. And then as we all know, March of 2020 hit and COVID hit and it was lockdown time. And I was panicked, like, what am I gonna do? I'm teaching all these in-person lessons, what's going on? Am I gonna lose all my students? Thankfully, most of my students moved virtually. They were open to trying Zoom. So that started to happen. So I kept most of my students. And I was talking to one of my friends one day on the phone, a musician friend. He's like, man, I'm in Ohio. 
he used to play on Broadway. He's like, I have no gigs happening. I'm kind of just hanging at home. There's nothing going on. And I had the idea. I'm like, hey, if I could get you some guitar students, would you want to work with me? He's like, yeah, if you can give me some guitar students, I would love to work with you. So I started promoting guitar and started feeding him students. He started getting students. And then I had the idea like, well, if it's working with him, maybe I can call some other friends and see if they'd be interested in working with me. So I called a vocal teacher, started to build out her schedule. And before I know it, I start this virtual music school. I kind of rebranded my website and started to promote as a virtual music school. And now we have over 50 students taking virtual lessons, drum lessons, guitar lessons, vocal lessons. I have a few other drum instructors and it is an actual virtual music school. So it really started as just a way of a multiple source of income. So I wasn't just relying on touring. And then when COVID hit, it really started to turn into a business. And now I'm just as excited about this as I am playing drums for bands. I mean, it's just a thrill to get up in the morning. Wow. Well, that's quite the saga. But listen, let's get to your issue. By luck, you've stumbled into what feels like a really cool niche, which is basically being this site which helps match up people who want to take lessons with people who want to teach them. Yes. So it sounds like it's going great. What's the problem? I have built it to this level. Like I said, 50 students. And I'm really interested in how to get to the next level, something that's bigger, potentially hundreds, even thousands of students. Once again, these are one-on-one -on -one lessons. So it's not like a website where you pay a subscription and there's all these stock videos. These are one-on-one -on -one lessons. Obviously, it's contacting more teachers is a big part of it, but I'm interested in ways to reach more students and marketing strategies because I know the market is out there. It's more just finding ways to reach it. That's a marketing problem, but I'm going to start with to what degree do you think this early traction you've seen is COVID-driven or do you think you've stumbled on a truly fundamentally better way to learn? Well, I was talking to one of the guitar students who lives in Germany recently, and she was saying, you know, what's so incredible about this is I'm studying with a guitar player who plays on Broadway, and I live in this small town in Germany. I would never have access to a teacher like that in Germany, but because of virtual lessons, I have access to them. So I was kind of worried about that. I was like, man, maybe everyone's just doing this because of COVID and when they let up, people aren't going to want to have virtual lessons. But I haven't found in any ways that it's slowed down since they've kind of opened up the world again. So I think I found a very convenient way for people to study with top-notch instructors. And now my other question, this is a common one that I'll ask someone who's in your circumstance. What else is out there that does what you do? Is this a new idea? You think you're the first person who's thought about doing virtual music lessons? I don't think I'm the first person, no. And I've looked online and I've seen some other virtual music schools. And School of Rock, which is more known for kind of putting bands together, of young bands, making rock bands, I think they're offering virtual lessons as well. But I've noticed that the big players in the market seem to be content-based websites where someone pays a subscription, monthly subscription, and there's all these stock videos. So there's some really big websites for that. Drumeo is one where I can go on and watch some of the best drummers in the world. But I don't get to study with them one-on-one. -on -one. It's just an hour-long video that I could watch. And so the question I have to ask, which is a common one, is do you think this is a really novel idea? In other words, oh my gosh, no one's ever thought of the idea of doing virtual lessons before. And that's why there aren't any big established companies doing this. Or do you think it's been tried many times in the past because it's a reasonably obvious idea, 
and there's some other fundamental reason why you don't see other big competitors that you've figured out the answer to? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't totally know the answer to that question. I think in a lot of ways, Zoom has made it a lot easier to do this. I think Skype and some other types of kind of virtual ways of communicating with people aren't as good as Zoom. So I think that's kind of opened up the doors, which is why it's more of a recent discovery. But I do pride myself in trying to hire teachers that have at least bachelor's or master's in music and just really top level teachers who can really tailor make their lessons to the student. So it's not some stock lesson. They really get to know the students. They have a relationship with them and they're really just stellar musicians. So I kind of pride myself in hiring to the best of my ability, the best the people that are just at the top of their game. The reason I asked that question is when you want to know what is the next level, to get to the next level, you have to understand the answer to that question I asked you a moment ago, which is why don't I see it already? And you could say, well, because no one's ever thought of this before, but I hate to break it to you, Dustin. I'm going to guess a lot of people have thought of this idea before. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe, well, you overlooked this. I doubt it. Mm -hmm. And so what you really have to understand is what has been tried or what were the assumptions that didn't work? What am I doing differently? Not that you need to do something differently from what you're doing now, but you have to understand which aspect of what you're doing is the truly unique and powerful thing that's making yours work where others haven't worked. Because it's reasonably easy sometimes to start something at a small scale. That can be pulled together on power of persuasion. Sure. 500 probably still could do it by force of your personal network. 5,000, 50,000, 500,000, those have to happen through virality, through network effect, through things that are going to be dynamic in the power of the idea itself. There's so many components to what you're doing that you don't recognize yet how many different things there are that you've just by chance done it a certain way that's worked. But you need to know what those are so you can make sure that you not only keep on doing them, but you double down on them. There's a couple things to that. So you threw one thing out that you thought it might be, which is technological progress, which is, of course, a very real possibility. I mean, people sometimes overlook that. You know, as you know, the podcast is called That Will Never Work and the book is called That Will Never Work. And it's because everyone always says that will never work to every possible new idea. And it's not that the people who say that are ignorant. It's that all of us rely on some level of pattern recognition. In fact, the reason that I actually can do what I do as a mentor is the fact that I've seen so much and I've seen what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I can kind of quickly begin to get a sense of, oh, this is a path that might be effective. But the thing that I have to be so careful about all the time is to make sure I don't apply patterns that I learned 5, 10, 15 years ago to today's problems if, in fact, things are different now. Mm -hmm. and that's what happened with people saying about Netflix. That'll never work. You can't do this. You can't. Because the conditions weren't right five years ago for it to happen. You can't tell if you're old enough for this. But MySpace was first. But it wasn't right for a bunch of reasons. But Facebook came along and that was right. Mm. Or a better example, back when we were just starting Netflix, maybe three years in, there was a company called Pets.com with a little sock puppet and they were selling, spending millions of dollars and it became this laughing stock of the totally 
ridiculous, irrational exuberance that, oh my gosh, you're going to take a 40-pound bag of dog food and you're going to try and ship that and make that a no econ. I can just, and they laughed at him. And of course, now there's a company called Chewy, which is like worth billions of dollars doing exactly that. Wow. In other words, the time could be right. The reason it hadn't worked before is you're right. People are doing it on dial-up connection or they're doing it on Skype or something that wasn't suited. And we've all kind of learned how powerful Zoom and Google Meets can be for doing this sort of thing. And also there's, of course, other really cool tools which didn't exist five years ago. I don't know if you've used the one where multiple people can now play together. I've seen something on that, yes. How cool is that? A bunch of my friends are musicians and they do these things where they're all simultaneously and they address the latency. And Anyway, I'm saying you might be right. It also could be the differentiator you just said, which is that this is not just an ability of some person who lives in this little town who, I'm a level two guitarist, I'm going to teach beginner guitar lessons, and they suck. Or they don't suck, but they're not a good teacher. You could say, no, what difference? I'll let you get a word in edgewise, I promise. Maybe. (laughs) It could be that you go, you picked right now, because you're a professional musician yourself, your network are professional musicians. So your instructor pool is great. But knowing that that is the differentiator that works, or at least saying, I've got to figure out whether that's the differentiator that works, is a key piece of it. In other words, and there's all kinds of stuff like that, which is, is this one-off? I'm looking for a class. Is this a master class where basically I go in and do one class with this person just to work in a small technique? Or is the basis of it a long-term relationship where I can do weekly lessons? As you know, from the offline world of music lessons, there's a million things. And if you don't have a pretty good idea which is the little combinations of features and offers and pricing and positioning that are making it work right now, then you're really starting from scratch. Sure. Especially since it is not a new idea that you have to be really careful. You recognize that it's not just that you're doing it. It's that you're doing something different that hasn't worked for other people. Because if you don't know what the whole, here's a summary. Here's the big quote. If you don't know what holes people have fallen in before you, you're risk falling in the exact same hole yourself. My question would be, how do you figure that out? as someone with as much business experience as you have. And you said you've had so much experience that you can kind of quickly identify things like this. For someone new like me, what process should I go about to kind of figure these things out and to see what I have that the other businesses don't have? So you two things. Number one is you have to understand the history. You have to dig a little bit. You have to ask around. You've got to find other people who've tried to do virtual music lessons before and you have to find out what happened. You mentioned a company which does recorded lessons for people, the drum company. Was that always their plan? Did they start that way? Or did they start with the person goes, oh God, it's so great to talk to you. It's amazing because originally our idea was, why do we record it? Let's do real live lessons. And then you're going to go, listen, because then they're going to go, and then here's what happened. And you're going to go, oh shit, yeah. Okay, and that just saves you falling in that same hole. Or you're going to find someone, you hear about this guy who actually did it, or this person, and and she says, oh yeah, we did this, and I found these two great people. But at the time, it was because everything was closed, and they couldn't do their real in-person lessons, and so they were happy to do a lesson for $60. 
Not when they could all of a sudden do the in-person ones for $300. Then they didn't want to do them for $60. I mean, I'm making up the numbers. I have no idea what lessons cost these days. You find out that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Or you realize that you have this two-sided market, which is a gross imbalance of supply and demand. You go, for example, each of your teacher's can conceivably teach 20 students, maybe, depending upon how much time a week they want to spend on this, 10 students. Maybe they have 10 students, something like that, whatever the number. So you go, okay, if I want to have 100,000 students eventually, holy shit, I need 10,000 teachers. Or I need some way to pick people who aren't professional musicians, but are professional music teachers. Well, that's different. And then you bump into someone who goes, yeah, the problem is what people love is being able to study with uh, the person who plays on Broadway. But I couldn't get many of those. In other words, what works on small scales doesn't work always in big scales. And I'm not saying yours won't. I'm saying if you can find people who in the past have bumped into these problems, it saves you having to bump into them and allows you to pick a different course based on the learnings of other people. That's the first one. That's kind of this research phase. You don't not do what you're doing, but you learn as much as you can, again, to avoid falling in those holes. All right, the second thing is you've got a big advantage, which is you have an ongoing, albeit small, business. The reason that's such an amazing advantage is you've got built-in people that you can talk to. If you were starting from scratch, the first thing I'd say to you is I go, I want you to go out and interview as many people who say they might want to learn an instrument or get better at their instrument as you can. And I want you to talk to them in depth. What are they looking for? What works? What doesn't work? What are they scared about? What kind of person do they want? You want to understand what problem they're having. Because remember, I started this whole discussion off by asking you, start me off by saying what problem you were trying to solve. And we kind of got to that. But you kind of stumbled into this, again, almost by happenstance, not because you started out from this premise, because the premise could have been one of two. It could have been, I knew all these friends who really wanted to learn music and there just was no good way to do it because they're in little towns in Germany. Or you could have said, oh no, the problem I'm trying to solve is most professional musicians only work six hours a week. Despite the fact of the Rolling Stones making a million dollars a show, most of us barely scrape by and that we need to augment our, and this is the way to solve that problem. What I'm saying is that you don't need to go out and do those interviews of strangers. You don't need to call people up randomly and try and interrogate them. You've got built-in customers who not only you have permission to talk to, but they've taken that first step of raise their hand by saying, I do want to work do this program, and I love it, and here's why, and here's what I don't like, and here's the reason I'm drawn to it, and here's what level of musician I am, and here's what I'm expecting. And you can do the exact same set of interviews with the people who are currently teaching. What's working for you? What's not working for you? Do you want more hours? Do you want less hours? Is it better to have master class with their one-offs, or would you rather make it a little bit less money, but have it be something which is a regular weekly gig or every other week, once a month? In other words, you can begin understanding the problem you're solving. And <laughs> gosh, this is a great topic. I'll shut up in a second. No, no, no I love um, this. I love it. I love it. But. Is that you're building a two-sided marketplace, which is you are not providing the lessons. 
what you're doing is connecting people who want lessons with people who can provide lessons. It's just a two-sided market. And those are really tricky because usually it's an uneven dynamic. So in this case, we call it demand side, which is the people who want the lessons, and supply side who need to supply the lessons. And usually the big challenge for an entrepreneur building a two-sided market is figuring out which one is going to be the harder one to fill. So if you, for example, said the problem is there's a million people who want to teach, but boy, it's really hard to find people who want to take the lessons. Then you go, okay, my challenge is if I find the people who want lessons, it'll attract the instructors in droves. Or you go, God, I've got hundreds of thousands of people who would love to take lessons from these professional musicians. There just aren't very many of them who want to teach like that. And then you know which side you have to solve. Sure. So part of your research phase is figuring out which side of the network is your scarcity going to be on so you can make sure you focus your attention on solving that problem. Because if you solve one, usually the other one comes. If I had to guess, I think it's going to be more of a challenge to find quality teachers than finding people who want to take lessons. Like if the quality, I have five teachers right now, and they're all stellar. So continuing to find top-notch teachers for the demand of students that want to take lessons, if I had to guess. Right. Yeah, I would think you're probably right. But knowing that is just one of the critical things you need to realize as you're trying to scale, which is that my challenge is going to be attracting great teachers. And so as you begin designing your system, you're thinking, what will it take? What will I need? How much revenue will I need to generate for these people? How hard is it going to be for them to bring it on? You just know what you really have to work on solving for. If that's the case, it's solving for that. Sure, sure. But in other words, where you are now is fascinating because you're right. You've demonstrated that there is something there. People are doing it. It's growing by itself. In order to decide how you take it into the next level, it's answering some of these big questions, which is really, really understanding, number one, what's been done before so you don't follow those problems. Number two, what problem are you solving and for whom? And that's where this has got to come. And then three, all right, now that I kind of know that, how do I do that? Which is how do I build a system that really is attracts and retains great instructors? And once I have that, it's not going to be a problem at all for me to um, find the students for them. It's exciting. It is. And it's been fun. And it's just, I've really enjoyed working with the students and the instructors. The students that are taking lessons are really enjoying it. And I think they really get a kick out of taking these weekly lessons and developing relationships with these instructors. So I do love what you said about, because I haven't really thought about that as much as about doing my research on the market out there. What's worked, what hasn't worked, why don't I see a big Netflix type virtual music school? And that is definitely something to think about and just really researching what's been done before. And like you said, the hole they fell into, maybe I can avoid it. And yeah, I think just what interested me is I can see it, like what you said, you said something that really stuck with me, like through just perseverance, getting to 50 students or even 500 students is possible, but taking it to maybe 10,000 students or 500,000 students is a whole nother realm. And I'm just wondering, do you see this as a business that is going to be more of just a mom and pop, maybe 500 students, 600 students, or do you see this potentially being something that could be bigger? 
The quick answer is I haven't the slightest idea. Okay. I don't know that market, but part of it, that is for you to really know. Those numbers exist. How many music teachers are there in the United States? How many students does each music teacher have? Those numbers are probably findable. Mm -hmm. And your guess, of course, is once you say, well, for everyone who's willing to get in the car, drive to the music store, go to that little dumpy room in the back and sit with their trombone. Probably 10 people who've always wanted to learn the trombone, but it did not want to go through all that bullshit. You can get rough guesses of what is out there. Can't believe I didn't even think about this. So I was saying, go out and find all these people who've tried this or are doing this so you can learn from them. How different do you think this is from other categories? For example, personal trainers track coaches, you name it, instructors of any type. Are these, that was a rhetorical question. You can answer if you have one. But just this morning, I did my workout with my personal trainer who I've been working with for this particular one, maybe a year and a half, and I've never met him. Mm. It's entirely done virtually. And the company's called Future, future fitness for those folks out there. Wouldn't it be interesting for someone who's thinking about building a virtual business in music to maybe deeply understand how future does it with personal trainers? I'm just writing this down. This is great, yes. You wanna find people who are teaching in the way that you think you've stumbled upon is a great way to do this. And because, for example, I mean, just to pick on future for a little bit, you try and figure out what ratio, how many students one of their trainers can train. I do know the number, which I don't want to talk about live like this, but it's surprisingly big because they've used automation to augment it. It's a really interesting model. And you look at what techniques they use to attract and retain new customers, their referral programs. Listen, sign up for future. See what it's like. How do they onboard? How do they make this all work? But you don't need to do future because they might be too expensive as a research tool. But there are other places like who do that. And you can become a polymath because you're now taking online classes in uh, yoga and you're doing online classes in fitness and you're doing online classes in juggling. And you're looking at every friggin' school out there that's doing what you're trying to do and seeing how they do it to make yourself smarter about how they market, how they support, how they bill, how they charge. Sure, sure. That's great, that's great. And then listen, what I have to hold myself back from doing here is going into the details because what you're talking about doing is fascinating to me in terms of do you do a la carte? Do you do packages of five? Do you do subscription, et cetera, et cetera? We'll go down that path a little bit later. All right. So Dustin, I've given you a ton to think about here. I have not given you where do I go from here in the true Yoda fashion. The answer is inside yourself. Once you educate yourself about all these pieces, where you know what's happened before, what others in the industry are doing, when you've interviewed the students and the instructors, once you've really learned what these pain points are, you'll know where you go from here. The next steps. You'll go, wow, it's all instructor-based. Every time I find an instructor, it's easy for me to find the students for them. And in fact, the instructor finds the students. Who knows? But you'll see, once you get it right, it'll grow organically. And then we can have our follow-up call about how you really put the step in the gas. But you do not want to step in the gas until you really understand what you're building. 
And that's the piece that I'm suggesting you put in place here. And you would say continue to grow and, and get students and teachers, but while doing that, do a deep dive into the research of other companies that are doing the same thing I'm doing and learn as much as I can about them to apply to the business model I've already started. Exactly. In other words, you're not ready to go from 50 students to 500 students yet. Or maybe you are. You're definitely not ready to go to 5,000 students yet. You don't understand enough what the sweet spots are. You don't understand enough what works in terms of finding people. You don't know which is the short side of your two-sided network. You think you do, but you don't know that for sure. And part of that will come out of the interview process. How important is it for you to have a be a professional musician? Because then that becomes your marketing. The only school where you learn from professional working musicians. Our instructors are not teachers. They're musicians or whatever you want to say. Yeah, the way to market it. Or you do it the other way. You go, no, our instructors are not professional musicians. They're professional teachers. Our objectives have you learn, not brag. Which way of those two you go? Well, it depends on what you learn. I have one more question for you. Yes, sir. As far as taking investment. I haven't taken anything. I'm just building it on my own. Is there a point with the business where you feel like it would be appropriate to take some type of investment to have more capital to work with for research and for these things we're kind of talking about? Certainly. And you're not at a bad place to do that. And this is a whole subject for a whole nother podcast episode. But one piece is that be careful what you wish for, because once you take money, you have obligations because people mostly are not going to give it to you because they like you or because they want to see you change the world in this pot. No, I want my money back and I want it back times a hundred. If you take that money, you now have a moral obligation to do the things that are required to make that happen, which is going to push you to grow at a rate you may not want to. I love that. My thing is, yes, up or out. Yes, home runs or nothing. I love that world, but I'm a professional at it. And it's entirely appropriate for that not to be. You go, no, I love my life. I just would like to have, this is a fascinating model. I could see this being a great lifestyle business. Then you need to be careful about how you manage that. So that's the first thing to think about when you're taking money is be careful what you wish for. The second thing, you should have some very, very clear objectives for the money. And usually the objectives for raising money is, I have some uncertainty in my business and I need the money to answer that next question. You really should say, what this money will do is allow this business to learn the following. Our premise is that we can grow to 5,000 customers, and this will get us there. And once we're there, we should be three to five times more valuable. And so therefore, you, Mr. Investor, will have gotten a three to five X return on your money just in the next 18 months. And then you're going to go to a different investor and go, hey, we proved we can market to grow ourselves to 5,000. The next one is, can we fill in the blank? Sure. So it's not inappropriate. You've got some there there. You've demonstrated there is something working. And that's a good point to say. Uh, usually I'm coaching people to not raise a penny until they have some evidence that there's a there there. And you've got a there there. You're now wondering, what's next? And I love, because obviously before this call, I was just wondering what we're going to talk about. But that bit of information about just taking a deep dive into research I think it's going to be so helpful and learning from these companies and not just music companies, but fitness companies, maybe acting studios on the way they do it. And I think that's going to be so valuable. This has been really interesting. This is the one that I would kind of love to dig in on at some point. So you've got to get back in touch with me. We'll talk again maybe in six to nine months. I'm curious to hear what you've learned and more importantly, what progress you may have made. Well, thanks again for having me on the show. It's been so valuable talking to you. All your advice has been incredible. And I definitely look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, Dustin. Well, thanks again and uh, best of luck. Thank you.
I suppose Dustin is used to being the teacher, but I got to turn the tables on him today and send him off with a boatload of homework. Music education, in-person and virtual, is a rapidly growing category. And before he starts making his own mistakes, he's got to know that space up, down, and sideways. His personal approach and connection to the topic will be a huge boost for him. And I'm certain he'll be finding his tempo when we check back again in a few months. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. Fill out the form and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at that will never work. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.